Thank you for downloading or streaming this message from Emmanuel Church. We are one church with multiple locations, and we believe God wants to bless you right where you are. In a few moments, you're going to hear some practical teaching from God's Word that I believe will be inspiring and relevant to your life. First, though, if you haven't yet experienced Emmanuel Live, we encourage you to go to our website, eclife.org, to check out our service times and locations so that you can experience Emmanuel in person or through our online campus. If this message blesses you and you'd like to support the ministry financially, again, you can go to eclife.org and click on the Giving tab and choose Online Campus at your campus. Thanks again for joining us today, and we hope this message will be an encouragement to you on your spiritual journey. Well, good morning, Emmanuel. How are you feeling this morning? I don't know where you're watching from today, but here in central Indiana, we lost an hour of sleep. Anybody struggling this morning? A little tired, a little extra tired? Uh, welcome to Emmanuel. Hey, if you're joining us at our Banda campus, Franklin campus, Garfield Park campus, we want to welcome you. If you're joining us at the Terra Treatment Center or the New Day Treatment Center, welcome to you as well. And if you're joining us online, whether local or somewhere else in the United States, we want to welcome you. We have, we have folks joining us from Washington State, Oregon, from California, from Nevada, from Florida, from Texas, from Georgia, from South Carolina, from Michigan. Can we welcome everyone watching all across the country today? and many other states as well. In fact, if you would let our online campus know where are you tuning in today, just type that in the chat. We'd love to say hello to you. We're in a series right now called Mercy. We started it last week, and basically what we said last week in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the word mercy simply means kindness, the kindness of God, or the compassion of God, or you could use the word the pity of God. Now, why would we do an entire four-week series on this one idea of the kindness of God or the mercy of God? It's because we need it. If you're a Christ follower today or a person of faith, I realize not everyone today is a Christ follower or a follower of Jesus. Um, we would hope that you would become one, but I realize not everyone watching here today is. But if you are, there is a high calling on our life. Last week, we looked at a couple of ideas from several different passages of Scripture that we are to be imitators of God, that we are to live a life of love. Peter said that we are to be holy as God is holy. John, the apostle, said those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Here's what Jesus himself said in Luke chapter 6, verse 40. Students are not greater than their teacher. In other words, you guys are never going to be better than Jesus, okay? He is the top dog. He's the best that there is. He is sinless. He is the son of God. We're never going to be better than Jesus. However, when the student, that's me, that's you, person of faith, is fully trained, has gone through the whole process of training, that student will become, say it with me, like the teacher. In other words, you are to become like Christ. You are to become just like him. C.S. Lewis said that we're all supposed to become little Christs, little Jesuses. Now that is a high calling. And when I hear things like this and other, st other statements like this in the Bible, I often think, wow, who can do that? Like who can be holy like God? Who can be an imitator of God in everything that they do? Right, who can become like the master? 
And sometimes we get discouraged when we realize that we're far from being like Jesus. Like there's a gap between where we are and where Jesus expects us to be. And if we don't handle that gap, we said this last week, if we don't handle that gap well, we could do one of three toxic things or we can go down one of three wrong paths. Some of us will walk away and throw in the towel. So I can't do that. I can't ever become like Jesus, so I'll, I'll leave church. I'll stop reading the Bible. I'll stop attend services, and I'll just walk away from the whole thing. Some people choose to do that. Maybe you're back for the first time after walking away a couple of years ago. Welcome back. Some of us choose to settle in. Well, I'll never get there. I'll never be an imitator of God. I'll never love others like Jesus does. I'll never be able to live my life as Jesus did. So I'll just settle into an average, mediocre walk with Jesus. And so I'm just a dirty, rotten sinner. I'll sit in the seats. I'll sing some songs. I might even write a check to the church every now and then. But I'm never going to volunteer. I'm never going to be on the impact team. I'll never lead a small group. I'll never go on a mission trip to Haiti. And I'll just settle in because I'm not never going to make it. I'll never be that good. And so a lot of people do that. And then a lot of people turn to legalism, which is basically boundary boundary marker spirituality, which is creating a set of rules. And if I'm not going to change in the inside, at least I'll look different on the outside. And I won't listen to this type of music and I won't watch these types of movies and I won't go to these types of places and I won't run with the certain people that do this or that. The only problem with legalism is that it doesn't change us and it creates hypocrisy and hypocrisy hurts the message of the church. There's another way. We don't have to walk away. We don't have to settle in and we don't have to turn to legalism. We can take the path of mercy. We can go the way of mercy. I love what Lamentations chapter 3 verse 22 and verse 23 say, the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies, watch this, never cease. They never stop. Great is his faithfulness. There's a famous hymn. We sing these words. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh every morning. This is God. God revealed himself to Moses. We talked about this last week in Exodus chapter 34. Yahweh, the Lord, compassionate and full of grace. His mercies are new every single morning. So I want to talk a little bit more about that today. And you might be thinking, well, why? You just did a sermon on it last week. <laughs> you talked about the mercy of God, thought you did a decent job. Let's talk, about, let's talk about something else. Well, not so fast. Not so fast. Because I think it's going to take a lot more than one sermon to apply this to our lives, to really let this information sink in and change us and change how we walk through this life with Christ. See, I believe that a lot of us really struggle to fully receive God's mercy. We might hear a sermon about it. We might read a book about it. We might even see a Bible verse that says God is compassionate and merciful. We might even intellectually agree with it and say, you know what, I think that's right. Theologically, that's correct. God is the father of mercies. He's compassionate and merciful. Yeah, but I still think he doesn't like me. I still think that he would rather punish me than give me mercy. In the, in the book Gentle and Lowly by, by Dane Ortland, which is a great companion book to this series, and a lot of the content I've been, I've been reading is, is from this, this gentleman named Dane. This is what he says, and I, I agree 100% with this statement. He says, fallen anxious sinners are limitless in their capacity to perceive reasons for Jesus to cast them out, kick them out of the family, to get rid of them. He says, we are factories of fresh resistances to Christ's love. I've never heard it put that way. We produce fresh resistances to God's love all the time. 
even when we run out of tangible reasons to be cast out, such as specific sins or failures, we tend to retain a vague sense that given enough time, Jesus will finally grow tired of us and hold us at arm's length. Five years, six years, seven years, eventually he's going to go, you know what, I just can't stand you anymore. Stiff arm. You know, I've just had it with you. So, like a decade has gone by. You, you exasperate me. You frustrate me. You're not changing. You keep sinning. And I'm just kind of done with you. Why do we feel this way about our relationship with God? Why do we think that God, given enough time, is going to grow tired of us? I think it's partly because that's how humans treat each other. <laughs> Isn't it? Humans, humans are not very merciful to each other. I mean, there's just, there's only so much a human relationship can withstand. There's only so much betrayal. There's only so, much, so many hurtful words. There's only, there's only so much pain that you can endure from, endure from another person before you say, hey, this relationship is over. And then people divorce and they split up and businesses separate, churches split, families split, moms stop talking to dads. Sons stop talking to moms. Daughters stop talking to fathers. Friends stop talking to friends. Teammates split. They stop talking to each other. Because there's only so much human relationships can withstand. We live in a cancel culture today, don't we? It is a very popular thing to cancel somebody out. Oh, you said this. Oh, you did this. Canceled. Oh, you took that political view and you took the, Oh, you think that? Canceled. Oh, you said that in a, in a movie several years ago? Canceled. <laughs> cancel. We love, we really, people love to cancel each other today. That's because people are basically unmerciful. And so what we do is we take this, this, this idea of, of, of how we're treating each other without mercy and we project that onto God and we say, you know what? If, if my father chose to walk away from me, if my mother chose to walk away from me and cancel me, if my husband chose to walk out, if my wife chose to walk out, if my parents chose to walk out, God's probably going to walk out on me too, see? We just kind of transfer what has happened to us in human relationships, and we transfer it onto God, and we think he's going to treat us that way. Given enough time, God's going to say, I've just had enough of you. We really feel that deep down inside. And so Jesus knew that we would, we would feel this way. And so he has given us some amazing insight. And he has made some tremendous statements to try to help us overcome this tendency to think that God's just going to cast us out one day. Because he's just had enough of us. John chapter 6 verse 27. These are the words of Jesus. All that the Father has given me or all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will, watch this. Never cast out. Wow. What a powerful statement. I will never cast out. In the, Greek, in the original Greek language, there's actually a double negative in this sentence to reinforce literary, you know, to kind of bring force to the statement. It's translated, there's, there's two nots. I will not, not cast you out. So it's a difficult statement to, to kind of translate it into English. You could say it like this. I will most certainly never, ever cast you out. That's what Jesus is saying. I will never send you away. I will never drive you away. I will never let go of you. I will never push you. I will never stiff arm you. I will never kick you out of the family. To which we would say, that's awesome, but you don't understand. Like, I'm just not the, uh, the, the run-of-the-mill ordinary sinner. Like, I really get after it. 
Jesus would say to you, I know, I've been watching, and I will never cast you out. Wait a second, you don't understand. Not only do I get after it, I get, I've been after it for like 10 years. Like it's been a long time that I've been like pursuing the wrong things. And Jesus, I, I know, I've been watching the last decade, and I will never, ever cast you out. Yeah, but you don't understand. Not only has it been a decade, but now I'm, I'm kind of trapped in this sin, and I've tried to get out of it, and, and I'm enslaved to it, and I can't stop, and I've tried to stop, and I've tried to get help, and I, and I just keep repeating it because I'm, I'm kind of addicted. I, I know you're addicted, and I know you're enslaved. And I want you to hear me today. I will never cast you out. But you say, well, I'm not only addicted, I'm, I'm not only trapped, and it's not only been a decade, and I, hey, listen, I, there's still part of me that really likes to sin. I mean, I know I shouldn't, and I hate it, and I know you don't like it when I sin, but there's a part of me that really enjoys the sin, and, and, and what about me? I know, I know, I know, sin can be pleasurable, but I need you to hear me today. I will never cast you out. Wow. Do you believe that? See, some of you are struggling to believe that. And I don't know. I think that there's a limit. I think if you push God as a child of God, as a believer, if you really push him, there's a limit. Because that's how human relationships work. If you push a human relationship and you continue to betray and you continue to be unfaithful, inevitably someone's going to say, I'm done with you. This relationship's over. And we think the same thing translates to God. But it doesn't. Because God is not like us. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, uh, verse 2, this is what the author of Hebrews says, looking unto Jesus, who is the author or the instigator or the beginner or the originator, that's what that word means, and the finisher of what? Our faith. Like God started this deal and he is going to finish this deal. And he knows about the gap and he knows how fragile we are and he knows how sinful we are. And he still says, I am the author and the finisher. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, this is what the Apostle Paul wrote. And I am sure of this, that he who began, he who the, the author who started the good work in you, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Like, like Paul is saying the same thing the author of Hebrews is saying. Whoever started this deal, which is God, will complete this deal. What deal is it? Your faith journey. He knows all about your sin. He knows all about your Fragility. He knows all about your weakness. He knows all about your addiction. He knows all about your secret dark sin. He knows it's been a long time. And he says, what I started, I will finish. And again, we hear that, verses like this, and I can show you several more. And we still think, I don't know. I think that, I think God secretly wants me out. <laughs> I think he's had it with me. Why do we do that? Why do we do that? Well, I think there's a couple of reasons. I think we tend to overestimate our grip on God. I really do. And we have a role to play in our faith, and we need to pray and fast and read scripture and meditate, and we need to attend services and be in a small group. And there's things we need to do, most certainly not to earn God's favor, but there's things we need to do to help our faith grow, right? If you don't do anything, your faith's not going to grow. But I think we tend to overestimate our grip on God, we tend to overestimate our role in the spiritual journey. I think we tend to treat our spiritual life like we do a new diet. Anybody ever try a new diet? You know, oh, you get excited about the keto or you get excited about the, you know, whole 30 or something like that. And then you start it and you're doing okay and then you screw it up. 
Anybody else? You know, and you get back on the ice cream and the chips and the M&Ms and all, and you just feel like a loser. Any, any, you know, any losers out there today? Just, or maybe it's a workout routine. Maybe, maybe you're like one of my friends who got the really expensive uh, stationary bike, you know, for, for $2,000. And then you're all excited about using it, and you don't. And you might have gotten it on a few times, but, but you know, it just mostly sits there. And then you feel like a loser, Right? And it's, you sort of are, in a sense, right? Because you didn't follow through on what you wanted to do. I'm mean, just being real. Just being real. We treat our faith like the new diet and the exercise routine or some other endeavor. Maybe you wanted to start a business. Maybe you wanted to you know, go back to school and you started well, but then life got busy and things happened or there was a difficulty that came up and all of a sudden, you know, you're not doing it anymore. And then we feel bad about ourselves and we feel like we're a loser and we feel like we're a failure. And we do the same thing with our faith. And so a lot of us tend to feel discouraged about the things of faith. We said we were going to read the Bible and do this and pray more and join a small group, attend services. And then we fade away and we fall away and we feel like losers. Because it was all up to us. Now I'm not saying we don't have a role to play in the spiritual life. We do. But I'm here to tell you today that it is not all about We overestimate our grip on God, and we tend to underestimate God's grip on us. Let me ask you a question. Where did this whole thing start? Like, why why are you watching today? Why are you at a campus today? Why are you in one of the seats today? Who, who Who is working here? Who's drawing you into this whole deal right now? Is it you? Or is it God? Let me go back to what Jesus said in chapter 6, verse 20, 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me. How interesting. Who's the start? Who, who started this deal? Isn't it the Father? Isn't it God who drew you into himself? Isn't it the Spirit of God that began to move in your heart to draw you towards spiritual things? Or did you start this deal and wake up one day and say, you know what, I think I want God, I think I want Jesus, I want to go to church. Who is in charge of this whole situation? Jesus would say, all that the Father gives me will respond and come. I'm not saying we don't have a role in it. You're here. You came. Many of you put your faith in Christ. But who began it? The author started it. The Father started this. And he is going to finish what he started. Jesus said this one time in John chapter 10. And it's very similar to what he said in chapter 6 about never casting us out. Watch this. And he said this for our benefit because he knew we would struggle. He said, I've given them eternal life and they will never perish. In other words, I will never cast them out. I will finish what they started. They will not spend eternity apart from me. No one can snatch them from me for my father has given them to me. And then he says this, watch this. And he, my father, is more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch them from my father's hand. It's like you are in the father's hand when you place your faith in Christ. And I know there are false professions out there. And I know some people are really not Christians. I get, I get all that. And we could talk about that after church if you want to. But I'm talking about the people whose faith is real. If your faith is real, it's authentic faith, you are in the Father's hand, and the Father says, there's no one that can take you out. I am more powerful than everybody else. Not not you, not the devil, not the world, not a friend, not a person. No one can snatch you out of my hand, is what Jesus says. Years ago, when my kids were smaller, I used to put something in my hand and close my hand and say, hey, boys, try to open up Papa's hand. 
Come on, come on. And then they come over like, oh, I can do it. You know, and they try and they would try and they would try and they couldn't get it open because they were only six years old. <laughs> now one's 19 and the other one's 17 and we don't play that game anymore <laughs> because they just open one finger at a time just like that and I cannot keep it closed. But, my, but back when they were six and seven years old, man, there's, they could not pry my hand open. And that's just a human hand. I mean, it's just, I'm not very strong. God, Jesus says, no, you ever see my father's hand? He's more powerful than anyone in the universe. And you, my friends, if your faith is real, are in the father's hand, he shuts it, and not even you can take yourself out of his hand. That's the security. Why does Jesus say this to us? Because he, know, he knows we're, we're factories that produce fresh resistances to God's love. We come up with reasons why we think God, over time, will stiff arm us. Jesus knew. So we would have to hear this. I'll never cast you out. And no one can snatch you from my Father's hand. How can God do this? I mean, isn't it, doesn't it seem, I don't know, Unjust. I mean, that you could sin and sin and get after it for a decade or two and Jesus will never cast you out? How could he do that? We would never treat each other that way. Human beings are not that kind. Human beings are not that merciful. We would end the relationship, not God. How can that be? One answer, really simple. God is not like us. He's not. He is not like you and I. We want people to pay for their sins. We'll cut people off if they mess with us, backstab us, betray us, fail to follow through, turn their backs on us, hurt us. You're done. Cancel. God is not like me. Aren't you glad he's not like you? If God were like me, I wouldn't be here right now, folks. I would not be your pastor if God was like me. There's a, a verse in Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, that is often used by Christ followers to help other Christ followers deal with situations they don't understand. When something bad happens, they say, hey, you know, Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9, this is what it says. My thoughts are not like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are beyond anything you can imagine. We don't really know what God is up to sometimes. I know you can't put it all together and figure things out, but you have to understand God's mysterious. Sometimes his ways are far above our ways. Listen, for just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways. That's pretty high. I mean, the sun is 93 million miles away from the earth. The next star after the sun is 4.3 light years from the earth. Okay, as far as the heavens are from the earth, that's how far my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Now, I'm not saying that that's not true or, or, or that principle can't be drawn out of this text. That, yeah, I mean, sometimes we got to understand that God is up to stuff we don't really know. We don't, like, he has plans we're not privy to. And you just got to settle in and trust his heart. And this, that's certainly true. But that's not what this text is teaching. That's not what Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 is all about. It's true. But we got to look into the context of what's really behind verse 8 and 9, and that's verse 7, the verse right before 8 and 9. And this is the context. Look at verse 7. Let the wicked change their ways and banish the very thought of doing wrong. Now, he's talking to his people, the Israelites. He's talking to us today. (laughs) 
We are bent on doing wrong. God knows that we are bent on sinning. He's fully aware of our weaknesses and our frailties. At one point in the Psalms, he says, I know you're like the dust of the ground. I understand. I have compassion on you. Let the wicked change their ways and banish the very thought of doing wrong. However, when you do sin, watch this, let them turn to the Lord that he may have, say it with me, mercy. A little bit louder, mercy. Let them turn to me and I will have mercy on them. Yes, turn to our God and I will forgive generously. Then verse 8 says this. For my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. What is God saying? Here's what he's saying. Dane Ortland said it like this in the book. God's ways and thoughts are not our ways and thoughts in that his are thoughts of love and ways of compassion that stretch to a degree, degree beyond our mental horizon. We cannot grasp the mercy of God. God says, I'm not like you. You would punish. You would seek retribution. You would seek judgment. I don't do it that way. I seek mercy. I seek forgiveness. If people turn to me, I forgive generously. And aren't you glad for that? Yes or no? I am so glad for that. How can God treat us this way? Well, he's just not like you. He's just not like me. Years ago, we, we used to show our kids the VeggieTale vid- videos. Anybody show their kids the vid- we had a bunch of veggie. One of the VeggieTale videos was uh, about Jonah the prophet. And they did a fantastic job teaching the story of Jonah to little kids through cartoon. And uh, the adult version is, you know, Jonah uh, is uh, supposed to go preach to the Ninevites, who were very, very bad people. All of Ninia, I mean, these, these people are doing very, very bad things to each other. And, um, and so Jonah, God tells Jonah to go preach to them. And he's like, no, I'm not going. You know, and he gets swallowed by a fish and all that stuff, but I want to focus on that part. But he didn't want to go. In the VeggieTale videos, the way that they portrayed how bad the Ninevites were, anybody remember this? They, in the, they were smacking each other with fishes. <laughs> I just, I will never forget that mental image. You know, they were very bad people, smacking each other in the face with fishes. It's great, it's great. Jonah doesn't want to go because Jonah knows the heart of God. Jonah knows that if he goes to Nineveh and he preaches to the Ninevites to turn from their sin, that God would give them mercy. So he runs and gets swallowed by a fish. See, the story of Jonah gives us a perfect picture of what God's heart is filled with. It's, it's, it's like on the brink of, of just overflowing with, with, with forgiveness and mercy and grace if people would just simply turn to him. He's not overflowing with judgment and retribution. He's not bent on, on punishment. He's like, I delight to show you mercy. All you have to do is turn. I'm not like human beings. I'm not like Jonah. I want to forgive. I want to show mercy. Aren't you glad? So what, what, is, what do we do with this? You know, what does this mean for you? Well, I, I'm doing my best to portray who God is to you. Like I, I, with words and, 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 and just my brain. And I'm trying to communicate to the best of my ability. What are, what are we dealing with when we deal with God? We're dealing with a God of mercy who knows we're going to blow it and sin. And yet he says, I will never cast you out. When you're in my Father's hand, no one can snatch you out. 
I forgive generously. I will finish what I started. What I began, I will bring to completion. This is a God who says, I know about your frailties. Your, your, your longing to, to sin and your addictions and your problems. And I, I, I see it all. And I'm like, I'm perfect. God's like, I'm perfectly designed for a sinner. Like God was made for sinners. He gives us exactly what we need. So what do you do with that? Well, I'll tell you what I do. This is just, I would tell you to do it. I would do it. I do it every day. Every time you sin, you should turn to God for mercy. Every single day. You say something you shouldn't say, turn to God. You think something you shouldn't think, you turn to God for mercy. You do something you shouldn't do, you turn to God for mercy. You don't do what you should do. Those are called sins of omission, things you leave out. You turn to God for mercy. Every single time you do something, you say, I, I, I'm going to turn to God for mercy. I'm going to turn to him, and I'm going to receive his, his generous forgiveness. God would say to you and me today, you think you're holding on to me. And in a sense, that's, that's okay, and that's fine, and I want you to hold on. But even when you fail to hold on to me, I'm holding on to you. I never lose my grip on you. I will always hold you if your faith is real. Every time you sin, turn back to God. That's how I walk through my journey. So I, when I sin, it doesn't discourage me. When I mess up or blow it or lose my temper or say something I shouldn't say or act in a way I shouldn't act, I don't get all discouraged and depressed. I'm like, that's my nature. Like, I, I'm gonna blow it. What do I do now? I turn to God. I turn to God for mercy. Man, I can't. Please forgive me. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that, right? There's no defeat. There's no walking away. There's no settling in. There's no retreating to rules and legalism. It's just God, mercy, every time, every time. And then you know what happens over time? You stop being a goofball. You really do. You, you stop getting mad at people through when you go through a, a roundabout. You just, you quit it. You quit it. You, you quit. Like, because there's only so many times, what are you going to do? Keep going back? You keep messing up time every day? I go through a roundabout about every day. What am I going to do? Mess up every single time? No. no. Eventually you're like, yeah, I'm an idiot. I'm going to stop doing that. Right? I'm going to stop yelling at my wife. I'm going to stop yelling at them. I'm going to stop cheating. I'm going to stop the lying. Because here's why. You don't want to abuse the mercy. Right? The mercy of God comes to you. It's free, but it's incredibly expensive. It cost Christ his life. Free of charge, but not cheap. And so Paul is writing to the Romans in Romans chapter 2, verse 4. It's a rhetorical question, but he's, he's assuming that they understand how expensive mercy is. Listen to what he says. Can't you see that the kindness of God is intended to turn you from your sin? Can't you understand that it's the mercy of God that eventually turns you away from your sin? What he's, what he's implying there is don't you see how expensive mercy is? And so you're not going to abuse it. You're not going to say, well, you know what? If God's going to forgive me, I'll just keep stealing. I'll just keep lusting. I'll just keep cheating. I'll just keep looking at porn. I'll just keep taking from the company. I'll just keep losing my temper. No, you don't, you don't abuse the mercy. You understand how expensive it is. And so eventually you turn away from your sin because you don't want to have to keep coming back. Now you can keep coming back but you don't want to, you don't want to. You don't want to look God in the face every single day and say, I did it again, I did it again, I did it again, I did it again. No, it's like, I'm, not, I'm just gonna change my ways. 
God's kindness turns you from your sin. So I said it last week and I'll say it again. The path of mercy ends up leading towards transformation because you simply never give up. And if you never give up, you eventually change. Yes? This making sense? Is that exciting to anybody else? The path of mercy leads to transformation because you never give up and you hang in there and eventually you close the gap and you start to look a little bit more like Jesus every day. More kindness, more love, more patience, more tenderness, more integrity, more courage, more, more purity. Why? Because you're living in mercy and you're not giving up and you're asking for forgiveness and every single day you're moving forward, forward, forward. The path of mercy leads to transformation. The brother, of Jesus, the brother of Jesus, his name was James. Can you imagine being the brother of Jesus? That'd be crazy. You grow up with a guy and he turns out to be the savior. <laughs> you, know, you know what I'm saying? Like you see the guy grow up, it's like, oh, you're the savior. Yeah, right. Anyway, he eventually became a believer in his brother, Jesus. And then he wrote a letter called the book of James. And I love what he says in chapter two, verse 13. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What a statement. In other words, James had a front row seat to Jesus's life. Saw it all. Saw him, you know, teenage years, you know, saw the whole, saw him become a young man, saw him become a carpenter. James is watching the whole time. His brother, you know, be raised by his mom. Then he sees his brother go to the cross and die on the cross, bleed, this horrible, die this horrible death. And James concludes, you know what? Based on what I've seen in my brother's life, mercy triumphs over judgment. See, when you look at a cross, any cross, what you're seeing is God deal with sin in order that you might have mercy. See, in order for God to be a just God, he's got to punish sin. He cannot let it go. If he lets it go, he's an unjust God. So he's got to deal with it. He's either going to punish you or he's going to punish his son. So on the cross, Jesus pays the price for your sin and my sin. He literally becomes sin on our behalf. He becomes every single lie, every single murder, every single deception, every single manipulation, every single rape, every single... I mean, he becomes every single sin on the cross, which is why he said on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The reason why the father forsook, forsook the son at that moment in time on the cross is because Jesus became sin and the father couldn't look at him. Your sin and my sin. So when you look at a cross, you see judgment. Jesus pays the price for sin, but you also see mercy. Because three days later, that tomb was empty. We're about ready to celebrate Easter. Three days later, that stone was rolled away. Three days later, Jesus overcame the grave. Death could not hold him down. He conquered sin and death by coming back to life so that you could receive mercy, the kindness of God, the forgiveness of God. When you look at a cross, you see judgment, but you see mercy triumphing over judgment. Have you received God's mercy? Man, it's awfully expensive. It cost Christ his life. It's free. You don't have to earn it, but it is extremely expensive. If you've never received his mercy today, I'm gonna to say a simple prayer. It's a prayer of faith. Reach out to God. Ask him to forgive you. Ask him to cleanse you of your sin. Put your trust in Christ today. Tell Jesus you're sorry, you're turning from your sin.
and that you believe he's the savior. And he will forgive you today and he will enter into your life and give you a brand new start. Will you take these words and make them your own? Wherever you're at, wherever you're watching from, if you feel led to, the Father's drawing people in right now. The Holy Spirit's drawing people in right now. You know if it's you. You know if this is your moment. You sense him and you feel him. Take these words, make them your own. Dear Jesus, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for taking the penalty of sin on my behalf, for dying in my place, that I might be forgiven. Cleanse me from my sin today. Lavish your mercy upon me. I receive it by faith. I trust you. I believe you conquered sin and death on the cross to make me your child. I believe in you. And from this day forward, teach me to walk in mercy, to take the path of mercy. When I lose my grip on you, to trust that you're not gonna lose your grip on me. And you will never cast me out. And no one can take me out of your Father's hands. Transform my life. I pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Can we give God glory, church? Come on. God is doing something. God is working. He is turning lives around. He is saving someone. He's healing someone. If you just prayed that prayer, we would love to, as a church, wherever you are, put this starter kit in your hands. We call it our saved box. Inside this box, there's a Bible. There's a uh, coffee cup to say congratulations. We like coffee around here. There's some instructions on how to get connected to the church, baptized. baptized. We, if you would text the word SAVE to 65248, we will send one of these to you in the mail if you're watching in your living room or somewhere around the country or the world. If you're at one of our physical locations and you trusted Christ, text the word SAVE to 65248 and you can pick up one of these boxes at the information desk outside in the lobby. One more time, church. Can we give God glory? Amen. Oh. He will never cast you out. He will never lose his grip on you. No one can snatch you from the Father's hand. Will you, will you live in that? The mercy of God, it's overwhelming. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for being a God of mercy. And no matter how many times we've blown it, we can get back up, we can be cleansed, we can receive your mercy, we can take another step, we can move forward. Teach us. Teach us the path. Teach us to walk in mercy, to live in it, to believe it, to trust it, to apply it to our lives, that we might have joy and peace, that we might transform and become the people you created us to be, that we might close the gap between who we are and who you've called us to be, that we might become like Jesus. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said? Amen. God bless you guys. I'm going to hand things off right now to the local teams. We'll see you next week. Bring a friend.